Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be joined by Fiona McIntosh. She's a freelance writer and photographer and the editor of an online travel magazine called Night Jar Travel. She's also the consulting editor of Road Tripping Namibia, and that's what we'll be chatting about this evening. Anel Potgitter will be back with us, and this time she'll be taking us off the national road, not on it, and uh, into the Karoo town of Richmond. Zafa Bulukbazi is general manager of the Turkish Airlines Cape Town branch, and they will be launching a direct flight from Cape Town to Istanbul later this year. And then Kerry Harvey joins us once again, and this time she was really in her element. She loves deserts and sand and anything like this, and so being in Abu Dhabi was just up her alley, so she says. Well, there's now also a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook, Travel on SAFM, or you can email me directly, travel at safm.co.za. And uh, my two favorite documents there are 50 things to do in Cape Town for under 50 Rand and 101 things to do and see on the West Coast. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Fiona McIntosh is the consulting editor of Map Studio's recent release, Road Tripping Namibia. And we can thank Namibia for so enchanting Fiona that she's remained on this continent ever since she first got here and explored Namibia. Well, tonight she'll be taking us through some of the most spectacular places you can see there. Fiona, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. This is your passion, Namibia, by all accounts. It is indeed. It was the first place I landed in southern Africa, as you said, and uh, fell in love with it and um, never went home, really. <laughs> so this was really, I mean, when you obviously were asked to do this book, um, this was, well, gosh, yes, absolutely. Gosh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> when can I start? <laughs> so how do you, I mean, I said that you were the consulting editor on this. What do you do putting a book like this together? Because a place like Namibia, I mean, just looking at the book itself, it's so packed, jam-packed full of information and photographs and stuff. How do you decide what goes in and can you bear to leave anything out? Yes, that's always the trick. Um, it's a difficult thing to know what to leave out, especially in a country as vast as Namibia. Um, but I was very lucky. I was able to draw on a lot of Namibian specialist writers. So I was very much the consulting editor, not the writer, not the, the sole author. Um, and so, yes, we all sat around and stormed. And Namibia is interesting because there isn't a very extensive road network. So um, this was the follow-on book to Road Tripping South Africa, which was actually more difficult to plan in terms of the route. In Namibia, we overlapped on a lot of the routes simply because of the logistics, um, So, which was more considering the themes and, and trying to really showcase what Namibia was about. But just looking through the contents page, I mean, there are some amazing routes that you've put together. I mean, there's the adventure route and the twitching, basically a bird is paradise up in Namibia. But you've got the cultural route and the wildlife route, the rock arts and the rock route. I mean, there's lots to do. I mean, you could literally keep yourself busy there for months. You could. Um, and my advice is certainly if you go to Namibia, don't underestimate no. how long it's going to take you because you, it's so photogenic. You end up stopping every five minutes. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's a lot to do. Um, and what we tried to do was say, okay, you're going on a holiday. What are likely to be your areas of interest? What are your themes? So obviously you're going to be constrained by geographical limitations and time and all of that. But most of us actually have an idea of what we want to do on our holidays. So we tried to plan the routes around those 
possible areas of interest. So just take me through some of these routes because, I mean, the names are very evocative and the whole Namibia itself is a very evocative destination. You know, those wide open spaces, those dunes, those amazing dunes and just the landscape is it's very almost surreal. It is. I mean, we, we opened with the Namib route, which um, I did actually write. I mean, I, I just love those wide open spaces and dunes and, and the very sort of typical uh, Namib landscapes. Um, but I guess actually for me, two things were very eye-opening. The first was um, going up to the north, doing the Kavango um, and Zambezi route and the Kineni and the Four O's route. So I didn't write them, but I actually drove all of these routes when I was checking the book um, and taking photos and things like that. And once you... I'd really only travelled in southern Namibia, I realised. I'd been through the Capri, you know, 20 years ago. And once you get north of Etosha, once you get off the typical sort of southern tourist track, you really are in deepest Africa. I mean, that... Uh, what was the Caprivi Strip, what's now the Kavango and the Zambezi region, is just so different. You know, you, you suddenly find elephants, big herds of elephants by the road. You're in dense vegetation. There are lots of sort of African crafts and people living in these environments. And then, of course, you go further east and you're bordering Zambia and um, Zimbabwe, it, it's it, Botswana. It, you know, it's very different. It, you really feel you're in the heart of Africa. So you, I saw a very different side of Namibia there, which I greatly enjoyed. And then the other area that I, I really hadn't explored was the um, IIS mm. Transfrontier Park. I hadn't appreciated the transfrontier nature of the park, really, until I got deeply into it. Um, and, and that's such a wonderful example of cross-border relationships. And, you know, that really is a good transfrontier park. And, and the, the Namibian parks and the South African parks work so closely together. Um, that, that was a fantastic opportunity to, to really meet the people there who are making that possible. The thing I liked really about the book, it, it's very much the look of the book, if you, for want of a better term. It looks almost like an old treasure map, the way it's been printed out. It, it looks almost I, like something you should go exploring with the book. I mean, obviously you need to lovely, do that, but it looks it? like they, that. Yeah, they've done it very well. I mm. love this sort of sepia yes. look and, yeah, the parchment look. It, it, it's been very well designed. Um, as I say, it is, it is a sister book to Road Tripping mm. Namibia, which I think looked good, but this is, this is outstanding. I, I think the Map Studio team really excelled. And, and of course, Shane Aidy, who took all the photos, mm. he also was very instrumental in making it look good. But also, well, one thing I really appreciate with the books like this is the fabulous maps. And what my favorite thing I love in books like this are those little asides that you put in. I think you've called them, um, what is it called now? On the side. Asides. On, the, On side. the side. I love all the little extra bits of information. Yes, and we do. I mean, it's just our excuse to squeeze in more information because <laughs> we have a word count, obviously, on each chapter. Yes. And you end up putting in lots of extra boxes hoping that they'll squeeze it in. And, and the designers are fantastic like that. They do do their utmost to get in all our little asides. Yeah, and the snippets. tips, and, and where you couldn't fit that in anymore, tip boxes with tips in them. You know, I just yeah. think, <laughs> I love this. It's, it's literally, Fiona, jam-packed. I don't think you could have got another bit of information in this book if you tried. Well, I hope not. I it's, hope we've been fairly comprehensive. I mean, no, we haven't, Karen. I mean, you I'm know, sure you cannot be comprehensive no. in a book like this. Um, but we've at least, I hope, managed to sort of 
tease people, mm. give them the outline, and to give them some interesting little snippets that maybe they wouldn't pick up on the internet. I mean, we're also spoiled now with the internet yes. being able to find just about everything we want. So, you know, I think that's the, the sort of craft of I would still prefer going off with a book in my hand and uh, something like this, which, I mean, I don't think you should dare go to Namibia without taking this with you because it's literally going to make your trip. It's got everything you need to know in here. It's got lots of general information in the beginning, lots of maps, and it's just one of those things you cannot go up there without having this book in your car. Well, thank you. Well, I don't think so anyway. And um, as I said, I love the maps. It's really it's one of the most fabulous, fabulous books. But everything you get involved with, Fiona, things like this is not the first one you've done. You can always you see your name on something. You know it's going to be one of those special books that has to be in your car when you're driving. So, well, I appreciate that. I, I certainly am very passionate about what I do. It no, comes I through. Do, mm. I do go check everything. I do actually enjoy the research. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the job I have. Well, I wish you much success with this. I think it's going to do very, very well. And uh, my listeners are going to be very happy because your publisher has very graciously given me three copies of the book to give away to the listeners. So in a few moments, not just yet because I'm still in the studio talking to you, but in a few moments I'll tell them when they can start calling in and the first three callers through can each win one of your books and hopefully we'll spur them on to get in their car and go up there and go and have a fabulous time in Namibia. Wonderful, and I'm sure they will. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening. I'm glad we could connect with you, even though we have load shedding. Um, we've got <laughs> something to work and got you on your cell, so that's great. Absolutely. Thanks, Fiona. Thank have a great much. rest of the evening. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Fiona McIntosh is the consulting editor of Road Tripping Namibia. It's published by Map Studios, available at all good bookstores. And as I mentioned, they've very kindly given me three copies of this book to give to you. So if you'd like to be one of the three winners, you can call now on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, Anel Portrait is back with us in studio this evening, and tonight she's going to be telling us about somewhere that she's been traveling to in South Africa. She's normally popping off to all these fabulous places outside of the country, and tonight she um, did more than stop. She talks about Richmond, the little town halfway between Johannesburg and Cape Town, and she says it's always the place where people just they don't stop there. There's just kind of a petrol-filling thing, or you pop in and get a hamburger for lunch on your way somewhere, but she says you should stop there for a bit. Anel, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Corin. It's great to be Back. So where is Richmond and why should we stop there for more than just petrol? <laughs> <laughs> Richmond is in the Great Karua Desert. I mean, it's halfway between Johannesburg and Cape, uh, and, and Cape Town. It's about three and a half hours from Bloemfontein and about four hours from Port Elizabeth and Kimberley. So it's really in the center of South Africa. Richmond is, it's difficult. It's on the N1 and you have to actually have to drive down the street to actually get in there. So people just bypass it. They normally stop at Beaufort Vest, but I said, please put in petrol at Richmond. There's a, the, I had to go there because I was doing storing for a report on venison and I was vin- visiting Anneke Reynolds. She's like the venison queen in South Africa and she stays on a farm about 50 kilometers outside Richmond and she taught me a few things about venison, but then she took me into the town and I discovered a beautiful town with like Edwardian and Victorian Karoo style houses, you know, with these romantic mm. verandas 
Paris and the Brookiless on the yes, yes, yeah. Yes. And there's a few people that still stay in town and there's a few neighboring farms and it's about today there's about roughly 30 farmers and their family that supports Richmond's economy. Before I forget, I just want to say something interesting is is I've got an old age home there and the farmers look after this old age home. They they will bring a scarf and a you know, they will bring some fruit from the farm and they will make sure that there's food at this old age. Oh, well, that's nice. It's just fantastic that there's still... Um, well, the community looking after the community, basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So quickly about Richmond. Um, Richmond is is very big in um, Springbokka, you know, Springboks. And years and years ago, there was these big migrations over those plains with thousands and thousands of bucks migrating from the Karoo Tsunanamakuland and the Kalahari. And they say that these migrations were about kilometers and kilometers long. So it's like thousands of bokeh. That is gone now. We all know that. But Richmond is still very rich in venison and very well known for the venison and the Karoo lamb is also the very well known to. So I just want to touch on about four things that I think my people must um, stop in Richmond. The first thing, there's a little place called Fit Mace Plas Combais. So this is a little restaurant in, uh, in small restaurant. They also sell like homemade goods there in a national heritage building. And it's a typical Karua dwelling with thick walls and yellow wood floors and they prepare, freshly prepare course like hearty country meals they serve there. So if you are on your way and you are hungry, you will get freshly baked bread there. You will get cakes there. You will get preserves there. You will get venison pie there. You will get babuti there. You will get oxtail there. Uh, you know, it's all these. Do you know you're actually making me hungry now? I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. And it's just amazing. And it belongs to four fantastic women. And they, they, they all rock farm uh, women, and the, some of they each has got their own little specialties. Yeah. So, so, like Aniki Reynolds, she does a lot of hand crops of so she will knit blankets, the most beautiful crocheted blankets and dolls and stuff. And then there's people that will do bottled fruit and biscuits and cakes, and they also sell game there, like your your springbok boat, your your sausages, your lamb. So you can get my boot was full when I came back of fresh meat that you can buy there. Okay. Lucky it wasn't too far to drive home. Yeah. On that specific day, we had the most delicious oxtail and I had sago pudding. When last did you have sago mm, pudding? I can't remember. Oh, it's so delicious. Vanilla with a bit of apricot and it was just divine. I'm, I'm, I'm drooling over the oxtail. Yeah, <laughs> it was divine. I think it was done in a bit of red wine. Yes, it always oh, has to be. Mm. Yummy. So if you go in, please stop at Fet Mace, Plascom Base. So it's Farm Kitchen, Fet Mace Farm Kitchen. And just discover the hospitality and the flavor of the Karoo. But the people often talk about the friendliness of the people and the hospitality of the people mm. in the Karoo. Mm. That is, it's quite unique. Yeah, it and is I'm unique. I'm sure that's what you found there. That's what you found there. And I'm telling you, your boot will be full of rusks and stuff when you go back and meat and whatever, biltong, drivels, whatever you're looking for. Then the second thing is, um, uh, uh, Richmond is actually a book town as well. There's every year. Oh, there's a book this festival. sounding better than ever now. I know. And, and in October each year, hundreds of book lovers and festival fans stream 
to Richmond to listen to authors pre- presenting like their latest works. They will walk around the streets. There will be bookshops. There will be publishers presenting new books. It is a festival, and that is in October. Um, now, the end of May as well, Athol Fugard is there. He's got a festival, the J.M. Kutsi and Athol Fugard Festival this May. So that it is a fantastic town to discover that. And then there's this Richmond Books and Printers. Corin. I went, walked into this place and went to heaven. <laughs> it is four houses of those old, old houses, those um, Edwardian, Victorian-style houses that I spoke about. So it's 24 Loeb Street, 26 Loeb Street, 28 Loeb Street, and 30 Loeb Street. Loeb Street is the main street okay. where everything is in my, Loeb Street, okay? okay, like a small town. Now, in these houses... Is just books. It belongs to one guy, and I just cannot remember his name now. But it's a flagship of Richmond's bookshops. You will find Africana books on early travelers, explorers, hunting, missionaries, botany, a natural history about the Anglo-Boer War, fiction, biographies, politics, anything you can think of. So it's three houses. Every single room is filled with books in these three houses. I'm talking about the kitchen, the bathrooms, Every place is full of books. He's even got a collection of sport books, magazines, from wrestling to athletics, cricket, rugby, soccer. You will also find there thousands of sport photographs. Are these for sale or are people just going to look? You can buy. Everything is for sale. Everything is for sale as well. The problem comes in now for me. That is for. It looks like a huge, huge, huge library, but it is a private collection that belongs to one. It is just fascinating, and there's a few other bookshops um, in Richmond, but um, I don't have their names here. So first is the Fetmaes Blaskombeis, and then this Richmond book. Book and prints, and then I want to urge the people just to go to the old age home, just to go and talk to the people there. Mm. They're just next to this little restaurant, and I went in there and I chatted to Tani Alminno Dia and Tani Hana Fulyun. They were farmers years ago, and I think they're already about 20 years in the old age home. And um, I chatted to them about how they cooked game and how they. Uh, how the farm life was and they just enjoyed it so mm. much for us popping in there and talking to them so whenever they do a good deed and just go and visit these people and then the fourth thing is is Aniki Reynolds she does game uh, venison workshops where she teaches you how to work with venison so you will stay then in Richmond for three to four days and you will then you get a carcass your own springboard carcass and she shows you how to debone it how to cut your fillets how to make sausage how to do steak, bultongs, everything that you want to know. And you get to take the bookie home. And you've now learned how to debone a springbok rib, apparently. Yes, I couldn't believe it. I didn't thought I'll ever do it. And I cooked it and it's delicious. It's actually so easy. I'm going to show you one day. So th- those are four things. And if you want to stay, if you've gone gone to the, the Plascom base and you had a glass or two of wine and you start to stay over because they've got lovely wine there. I found Murati wine there. Ooh, Delicious. Mm. There's a fit mace, Karua Hase. It's like accommodation. And it's a quaint, quaint Karua house with antique furniture and fittings set in such a beautiful way. And it can the house can accommodate about eight guests with large, large bedrooms. There's a big large lounge with a fireplace they've even got a small library where you just go and sit and the rooms are just 
beautifully appointed with all these old furniture and the accommodation there's about i think 260 rand a night per person it is cheap you know you can't stay at any yeah. hotel for that price and to stay in such such a lovely setting it is something i would really recommend yeah so that's richmond karen well, as I said, definitely somewhere to stop for more than just petrol. Definitely a place more to stop. And in, in, I got lost in the bookshop. I, I could have spent a whole day no, there. No, there's four houses, you said, full of books. Yeah, yeah. So what I'll say... I'd need a week in each one, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So what I'll say, drive into Richmond, go and have lunch at the Fetmaze class base. After lunch, go to the bookshop and sit there the, the whole afternoon. Yes, absolutely. Go and have a little bit of a, a nap at the Fetmaze Karuai. And the next morning, go to the bookshop again and go and visit the old age home. It's a beautiful place to experience the Karua hospitality and, and the way and these, they live. these game workshops, how often does she do those? She does it on demand. Oh, I see. So, so it's not like every set dates yeah, you have to apply for yeah. it. Okay. And, and I've got an email address here if people would like to contact Aniki. Because I think if you are interested in game, you must really try and, and contact her. So it's Aniki, A-N-N-A-T-J. I-E dot R at Vodemail dot C-O dot Z-A. So it's Aniki, A-N-N-A-T-J-I-E dot R at Vodemail dot C-O dot Z-A. And you can go off and learn how to deburn a springbok rib like you did. Yes. And you know what we did with the rib? We opened the rib up and we put some dried peaches inside, some feta, some coriander or what is coriander seeds, some herbs inside, and oh yeah, and bacon, and then we rolled it up, and we sh- she showed me exactly how to even fasten it properly because I just the string around it, yeah, string around it, and then you bake it very slowly in an oven, and, and I'm, I baked mine when I came back, and it was really really delicious, yeah. So it sounds like another new destination for that bucket list we keep yeah. adding to. Especially if you're driving, you know, if you're driving to Bloemfontein or you're driving to Joburg. And a lot of people do that over um, Easter. They do that over um, December holidays. Pop in and Richmond and discover the Karoo. I always talk about it's not, it's not so much the destination anymore. It's the journey. Exactly. And this is part of the journey. So it's what yes. you can see along the way. Because we're also busy on the on the freeways and the highways flying past all these beautiful places yes. that we could just miss because either we just don't stop there or we just stop for petrol and ke- keep going. Yeah, so, we're always in such a hurry to mm. get from the one place to the other place, you know. And if, 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 you, if you just plan a bit better and you can discover so much more of our Absolutely. country, you know. Like this, for example. Yeah. As you said, you, it's not visible really from the freeway. You've got to actually turn off yeah, and go down into the town. Because a lot of towns, you drive through them, you mm. know, the small towns, but this one not. You actually have to turn off um, to them. Yeah, and uh, I think they will welcome everybody with open arms. And I want to just remind the people of October, there's that book festival. Yes. You know, I think I'm going, so I must book my place in this, my book my accommodation soon, soon before everybody else does. And, um, and that's the Richmond Book Festival. Yeah, it's, it is in October. And they have. I, I, was, I looked this morning, if I could find the program, but it's not up yet. Where but would I, they look? Where would people look for that? Okay, I'm going to give you the address here. It is www.richmondnc.co.za. www.richmondnc.co.za. And another email address is booktownrichmond. It's all one word. Booktownrichmond 
at mweb.co.za. Okay, so there's no excuse. There, we're yeah. able to find all that information. And you said so the program's coming. Yeah, the program. I was trying to look for it this morning. It's coming. Yeah. It's okay, coming. so it's the annual, the fifth annual JM Kutsia Athol Fugard Festival. That That's one is, coming up in May. That's yeah, the that end is, of the month. Yeah, yeah, that is in May. The other one is the book festival. It's in October. Oh, it's in October. Yeah. yeah. So there's, gosh, there seems to be a lot happening in this little place that no one really <laughs> bothers to go and have a look at. So you need to go and have a look at this place. Yeah, definitely. I think mm. sometimes think there's more things happening in these small places than. In our own cities. Yes, you'd know? be quite amazed what is going on out there. But, yeah. Anel, thank you once again for coming to share it with us. And uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more people popping in to see what's going on in Richmond. Thank you. Mm, thank you for your time. We hope thank to see you again soon. I'm sure you're off somewhere other equally exciting in the not-too-distant future. Yes, yes. I'm planning to go somewhere, and it's actually Swaziland again. I want to go and do a food culture yes. tour. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then? I think I'm going to Greece, Karen. I haven't been to Greece in no, a long I'm, time. I'm going yeah. right off you now. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, we're not, we won't talk to Anel for a bit now. I was chatting there with Anel Purgheta, and she's a food and travel blogger. Her blog is lifeisazoobiscuit.com. And as we said, she's been exploring a little town called Richmond, sort of right in the middle of the country, she says it is. If you want to go and do the venison or game workshop with Anaki Reynolds, then there is an email address for her. It's anaki.r at vodamail.co.za. They've also got the book festival thing coming up in October and also they've got the JM Kutsia Athol Fugard Festival that's at the end of May. So the website is www.richmondnc.co.za and the email address is booktownrichmond at mweb.co.za Now if you've missed any of these contact details you can always just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I will send the details to you. Time to travel with Karen Key. Before I introduce my next guest to you, I just have to tell you who the lucky winners were of those three books. And gosh, if I'd had 103 books, I would have been able to give them all away because the phones went crazy. And the three lucky winners were Michelle Watkins, Carol van der Felder, and Oni Drewayo. Now, one of those winners told me that they are off to Namibia at the end of the month. So how lucky was that? They can now take this book with them and have a wonderful, wonderful time on their holiday. Zafa Bulukbasi is general manager of the Turkish Airlines Cape Town branch, and um, he's going to be talking to us about the new route that's going to be coming later this year because there's been an increased demand for a direct Cape Town route for international travellers, and Turkish Airlines are launching a direct flight from Cape Town to Istanbul. Zafa, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen, to you and all the listeners. So I mentioned that you're going to be introducing this. When is this coming, and what prompted Turkish Airlines to do this? Um, yes, uh, on 26th of October this year, we are going to start our direct flight from Istanbul to Cape Town. And uh, the reason that uh, it leads us to this decision, actually, uh, the, the, the increasing demand from South Africa to, to our product uh, was the main reason uh, we ended up uh, planning a direct flight from Cape Town to Istanbul. One of the very good things that I'm not sure whether all South African travellers know is that there's no visa charge for South Africans travelling to Turkey. Exactly, Karen. Uh, um, as you said, there's no visa charge. They just go, have to go online. In three steps, in two minutes, they produce your they produce their online visa. They don't not even need to print it. And when they arrive in Istanbul and present their passports to the passport control office officer, 
they see them online and they are most welcome for 30 days free of charge. Gosh, you make life very easy for us to travel to Turkey. That's absolutely exactly. amazing. A lot of places are making it more and more difficult for us to travel. And yet yeah. this is really obviously a very hassle-free trip. And um, so, but now improving tourism in Africa, it's obviously very important to Turkish airlines because I'm sure you're looking to expand on the continent in the future. Exactly. Uh, this is our uh, strategic decision, and we are investing in Africa continent, uh, and it's in our marketing and business plan. And the reason why we are investing in Africa continent, we, we, we know that uh, it's going to be an economical uh, economic boom, as it's happened in Asia continent before. The same will happen in Africa continent, and uh, with this aspect, we, we are happy to invest in Africa continent. And at that moment, we are the airline who flies the most destination in, in Africa. How will this flight benefit Istanbul and Cape Town if it's direct flights between the two? Uh, lots of opportunities for uh, for our uh, leisure market and for our business travelers. Uh, on leisure point of view, um, Turkish lira is, is more affordable than uh, European dollars. Uh, this means that South African people, they can, with their limited budget, they can still have a, a world-class uh, holidays in Turkey. Vice versa applies to my Turkish citizens coming down to Cape Town uh, because uh, rent is unfortunately nowadays weak. On the other hand, there are lots of business opportunities on, for both cities. Uh, all the businessmen, uh, I'm sure they will find their way to invest uh, on different on to their destinations and to other cities as well. The one thing I'm not sure that many people know, and I'm, I must admit I didn't know this until I saw a press release the other day, that the city of Cape Town and the Turkish city of Izmir recently signed a cooperation and cultural exchange agreement. Exactly. Um, they, they are actually uh, Madame Mayor of Cape Town having a close relationship with Mayor of Istanbul and Mayor of Izmir. And uh, next year we are expecting a lot of uh, visitors uh, from Turkey coming down to Cape Town to interact with their counterparts. Uh, so it will, be, it will be a very nice opportunity for both cities. Now the plane that will be doing this direct flight, it's the Airbus 332. Exactly. Tell me, that's, it can accommodate quite a large number of passengers and there are some fabulous things on board for the people flying. Tell us a little bit about the flight itself and about the plane. Yeah, if I may talk about our product, uh, as you said, our, uh, the product we use to South African market is going to be 332 Airbus series. 22 business class seaters and 228 economy class seaters. And uh, other than this uh, machine, we are putting a um, flying chef on board that are serving our business class customers. Uh, and although we are getting uh, awards for our business class catering, we revamped our concept and now we are offering candlelight dinners for our business class customers. Uh, on the, in the sky. I love that. I think that has got to be the most romantic thing I've ever heard of a candlelight dinner flying in a plane through the clouds. I mean, I couldn't think of anything more romantic than that. <laughs> exactly. And we, of course, not don't ignore our economy class customers. Mm. We have flight entertainment system on each seat. They have their individual screens. We offer them uh, very nice, freshly cooked South African kitchen uh, meals. Plus, we offer them fresh orange juice and Turkish light as well. So I was looking at some of the meal options. I mean, there's real authentic. I mean, are some of those dishes, those real authentic Turkish dishes, going to be served to the economy class as well as the business class? Exactly. This is hap- this is happening out of Istanbul flights mainly. Oh right, yes. Okay. We want to offer our, our traditional kitchen flights stemming from Istanbul. Mm. The the other way from Cape Town to Istanbul, we always try to 
had some South African touches in, in the table. Um, we are working on some different projects to offer some small snacks like biltongs, Oh, nice. Like offering them some malva puddings, that kind of mm, stuff. All the best things. All the best things. And I was, I was very happy to see that this is going to actually be a daily direct flight. Exactly. Wow. Do you think there's enough business to actually maintain a daily flight? Yes, all the stats show us this, and we are very courageous to, to plan this product, and we, we believe that uh, this is not a wrong decision, and uh, we will carry on. I was just looking through some of Turkish Airlines awards. I mean, there have been some amazing awards. Europe's best airline, best airline in Southern Europe, best business catering service, best economy catering service. And that's quite something. Um, And then you've had best business class lounge dining. I mean, you've had a number of really high profile awards for this airline. Exactly. Uh, The last four years we have been, we are holding uh, Europe's best airline title, which has been voted uh, approximately 18 million passengers. And uh, this year we are working to be a five-star airliner in the world. And uh, we revamped our CIP lounge in Istanbul, and it's been elected the best CIP lounge in the world. This is 5,000 square meters, double story, and it includes massage services, free rooms to sleep and take a shower, three main kitchens, and it's very welcoming uh, for our business customers. So how well known in Cape Town, for want of a better thing, is the airline, if people are now going to be flying direct to Istanbul, is this something that is quite high profile in the minds of travellers or are you doing, going to be doing a big promotional push before the launch? Yes, this is our weak point, Karim. As you say, uh, I mean, we are not really well known in South African markets and now we are working on, on, on this project and to make a brand awareness for our product and what we are doing locally in Cape Town. We are performing lots of projects. We are participating in lots of projects but uh, we, we are not able to communicate them. Uh, with our new PR company, we'll be able to communicate this with your help, of course, to, to South African customers. And when this, you said it was launching on the 26th of October, so we've still got quite a few months to go. Are there going to be any specials that people should look out for when the launch happens? Exactly. There, there will be lots of availabilities on our site, so this means that automatically the fares will, will decline. So if people are wanting to go off there, and as we said, no visa, expensive visa, they just it's an e-visa. You just do it yourself online. So, I mean, how much easier can it be than that? And yeah. um, so it's not going to cost you anything for that. That's free of charge. And um, as you said, spending-wise, the it's not going to be too um, expensive for South Africans to go on holiday there. And then if you're wanting to get a sort of a good discount or a good price on a flight when, when the launch happens, maybe this year is the time if you've been planning to go to Turkey, this is your year. And if even they, they don't intend to go to Turkey, but if they are having long waiting times in Istanbul, we have a free city tour option, so they can enter Istanbul still, and they can take free of charge city tour, including free lunch, transportation, and museum entries, and they can firstly meet with the city, and they can plan their next vacation to Turkey. Wow, so there's lots and lots on offer. And would all that information be on turkishairlines.com on the website? Exactly. So they'll find everything they need over there and also all the information on the launch of this direct flight. Um, are you flying into South Africa at the moment? And if you are, is it via Johannesburg? How is it working at the moment? At the moment, the flight departs from Istanbul at midnight and uh, early in the morning, they, we touch down in Johannesburg and we offload our customers there. We do the refueling and then we take off for Cape Town um, and then back applies the same. But as of 26, uh, 
we will offer it directly to Cape Town. And will you still be doing the Johannesburg flight as well? Exactly. So you'll be flying direct from Istanbul to Johannesburg and then Istanbul yeah. to Cape Town? Exactly. Oh, wow. So there's going to be two incoming... Oh, is that also going to be daily into Johannesburg? Exactly. Gosh, so two flights a day in from, from Istanbul. That's going to be amazing. It'll be fabulous for our tourism market here as exactly. well, bringing tourists into the country. Gosh, that's really nice. We can increase our inbound tourism. That's uh, We really need that to happen. But Zafar, that sounds like a lot's going to be happening in the next few months. I'll certainly keep an eye on this. And maybe we can chat again once the launch happens. That'll be great. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Only a pleasure. Good night to you. Good night. Zafar Bolokbasi is general manager of the Turkish Airlines Cape Town branch. And for more information, he says there's going to be lots of specials coming up around about October the, the Direct flight from Cape Town to Istanbul launches on the 26th of October this year. So have a look then. And if it's one of those places that you've been wanting to go to, this possibly is the year to do it. And you can find all that information on their website. It's turkishairlines.com. And if you wanted to find out more about that e-visa, there is a special website that you need to go to to go and do that thing. So if you want that, it's quite a long thing with lots of forward slashes and dots and things. Just send me an email, travel at safm.co.za, and I'll email you the link. I think it'll be a lot easier easier than me trying to read it out to you now because I will get myself confused. So just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I'll give you all that information and anything else that you hear tonight, I'll be able to send you. Just drop me a mail. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, last time we spoke with Kerry Harvey, she'd been spending some time in Dubai. And I did mention then that she'd also been off to Abu Dhabi. Now, Kerry is a, a travel writer who gets to the most amazing places. And if you'd like to find out where she goes and what she does, have a look at her amazing pictures. Take a look at her blog. It's kerry-harvey.com and you'll find all the information there. And Kerry's on the line with me this evening talking about Abu Dhabi. Kerry, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. Good to be back. Now, as I mentioned to you before one day, I have actually been to Abu Dhabi, but um, just the airport. <laughs> I was on my way back from Kiev, and we stopped over there, and I can tell you, they opened the door of the plane, and literally this wall of heat hit me. It was 11 o'clock at night, and it was yeah. steaming. I mean, when did you go to Abu Dhabi, and did you survive the heat? Well, yes, I think you, you likely were there in summer or close mm, to I summer. I think so. Um, although it does feel like summer all year there, um, but their true summers are just horrendously hot and, you know, will easily get into the 50s. So um, I was there in February, March, and um, that's a great time of year to be there because it's their so-called winter. But the temperatures are still mid to late 20s, even into the early 30s, but it's absolutely, you know, fine and bearable to be outside. But um, don't venture there in their summer. Now, last time when we spoke, we mentioned we were talking about Dubai. Now, that's somewhere that people recognize as a tourism destination. But Abu Dhabi isn't really something that a lot of South Africans would consider as, oh, well, let's pop off to Abu Dhabi for a week. Mm. Um, Abu Dhabi is, it's really interesting because it's, um, I think few people realize it's by far the biggest of the Emirates, the seven Emirates. It's by far the biggest and way by far the richest. Um, 94%, I think, of the oil that comes out of the UAE is from Abu Dhabi, Emirates. They're just really understated compared to Dubai. I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't do things in a big way as well, but they're not quite as sort of over the top. So, and there's, there's a surprisingly wide variety of things to do and experiences to enjoy in Abu Dhabi. Um, it's definitely worth a visit. Now, I'm, I'm sure one of the draw cards for you, Kerry, it has sand in a desert. <laughs> yes. 
it does have sand and 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 lots of desert. So that was a massive draw card. We were um, we went into the Liwa Oasis, which is a, a sort of a crescent shaped oasis because that's you know the the villages um, create that shape. And yes, we were we were in the oasis and deep in the desert and uh, stayed at an absolutely magnificent property called Kassal Sarab, um, which literally looks like a Moroccan casbah rising out of the sand, surrounded entirely by deserts as far as you can see, horizon to horizon. But what is what is wonderful about being there is not just the experience of, of being right in the desert with no rough edges, um, but also the different activities that, you know, are traditional in the desert. For example, falconry and Saluki dogs. You know, seeing Saluki dogs in action was a first for me. What is a Saluki dog? A Saluki dog is, uh, I guess, the Arab version of a whippet or a greyhound, um, one of those skinny, fast dogs that they use um, to hunt, basically, to hunt, you know, hares and whatever, small small game in the desert. Um, and the difference between the Saluki and the falcon, aside from the fact that we're talking dog and bird, is that falcons also use, they also used to hunt by the, by the Bedouins, but the falcon, when they catch their prey, they will begin to eat it, and the Salukis don't. They either return the prey to their owner, or they will stay with it until the owner comes. Um, and then, you know, in return for a, a small portion of it um, as their reward. So, But they're fascinating to watch, and they are so frightfully fast, I had no idea. I mean, they can, the Salukis can reach over 100 kilometers an hour. Sure, that's incredible. Yeah, and I, I understand they can run at around 80 kilometers an hour for up to a kilometer or even two kilometers. Sure, that, that's something. Um, it's insane. You know, when when I heard some of the facts and figures, you know, the peregrine falcons, which are used in falconry to hunt um, birds, um, they will nosedive onto their prey at well over 200 kilometers an hour. Sure. Um, they are, it's impossible to photograph. They're just too fast. You know, you've got to anticipate where they're going to fly into your frame, click the shutter, and then you often just get their tail feathers. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> sure. Now, that's, that's quite unusual. I've never heard of that before. But yeah. then you also spent some time in just outside of Abu Dhabi City um, at the Oasis there. Um, yes, this was, this was, in fact, the Liwa Oasis, which is, it's, not that close to Abu Dhabi city. It's probably a, about two hundred k's out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but absolutely a day trip if you're staying in Abu Dhabi city. Um, and I just want to mention on route to the Liwa Oasis and Kassel Sarab where we were. Um, there's a really interesting and quirky car museum, um, which is he's known as the Rainbow Sheikh, um, oh. and he's Sheikh Hamdan, one of the Abu Dhabi um, clan. And he has a collection of, I think, around 230 cars, um, which he's put on display in this car museum. But they're all wacky cars. There are very few that are ordinary, apart from a really extensive collection of any car you can imagine. He also has a rainbow range of Mercedes-Benz cars. So he has one in each color of the rainbow um, with the interior upholstery to match. And then he has one that is all the colors of the rainbow, on the outside, and the interior matches the color on the outside, if that makes any sense. So yes. it's a striped <laughs> Mercedes-Benz in the colors of the rainbow. Okay. Um, also, you know, moon buggies and desert, disco desert buggies that are all blinged, and anything from, 
it looks like uh, Land Rovers and Toyota Land Cruisers that are used like in the Second World War. That's what they look like. Um, giant cars and tiny cars and, you know, raised suspension cars and all sorts of crazy stuff. But fascinating, even for girls. Even for girls. Even for girls. Even for girls. Now, there, when you were out in, at the Oasis, there was something there, a palm-dotted village in the vast, it's called the Empty Quarter. Yes. Um, this se- that particular section of the Arabian Desert is, is simply known as the Empty Quarter just because it is um, so remote and so literally empty. There aren't any villages or settlements um, apart from this Liwa that we spoke about. Um, so it's quite an evocative name. And, you know, when you're, out, when you're out deep in the desert and you're in the empty quarter, you do really feel like you've landed on the moon. It's, there's just an a awesome feeling of being in, in wilderness and, you know, places where nobody else has been, even though, you know, people have traversed there for a long time. Now, driving out to um, Liwa Oasis, I mean, that must have been, you must have been in your element because you were going through the sand and the dunes and the amazing landscape that that is. Yes, and it's it's really quite um, quirky in a way because you have a, a, a double carriage, beautifully tarred, perfectly maintained highway that runs straight through the desert for hundreds of kilometers. So on both sides are just dunes, you know, horizon to horizon. And down the middle of this road is date palms. Um, and that's it. And then you, you also pass camel farms um, where you will just notice that there's a fence up um, on the side of the road. You wonder <laughs> if they're keeping the sand in or out. Um, but now and again, you spot a trail of camels, you know, in the distance, and um, then there'll be a, a sort of makeshift settlement um, where the farmers don't necessarily live with the camels. They'll live in a village and then drive to their farms to attend to them. But, yes, it's just sand and and camels and more sand and a row of date palms for hundreds of kilometres and... Um, couldn't make, couldn't have made me happier. <laughs> and then, sort of, it's a completely different environment. Off you went to an island. Yes, um, Abu Dhabi is actually. I don't know if it's technically correct to say part of an archipelago, but um, it's twenty islands. You know, in the in the Sea of Arabia, and one of them, Serbanias Island, is. Well, it was, it's one of the islands that has been greened um, by previous Sheikh Zayed. Uh, yeah, for, for decades it's been greened. He planted, it's got acacia trees on and there's sections where there's grass, all heavily irrigated, of course, and what's quite quirky is that the acacia trees and all the trees are planted in rows because they need to be irrigated. Um, but he's also he also populated it with wildlife, and um, some of it... You know, endemic. There are also the Arabian oryx there, the white little hemsbok. Um, but then a whole lot of very unusual species, like the Indian blackback, which has long horns that look like a corkscrew. There was a giraffe from Kenya, reticulated giraffe, which um, looked fairly out of place. And then, you know, other Arabian endemic species, like the um, sand gazelle and and so on. But, um, yeah, a fair bit of wildlife to see. And uh, there, were also, there were also some species from Morocco, mm, uh, quite, a, quite a mixture. And we even saw two cheetah lying in the grass. Sure. As you com- I think you commented it was like a United Nations down there. Yes, 
yes. I'm not sure if the cheetah realized that they were, in fact, in the Emirates and yeah. not in, in Africa. Because <laughs> they look quite relaxed in the tall grass under acacia trees. They felt quite chilled out there. But the other interesting thing about the island is that there's an early Christian monastery there as well. Yes, there is. Um, when, when I say monastery, it's really just the remnants of it and remnants being the foundation. Mm. So um, it has been protected. And what's interesting, what is particularly interesting to me is that it is, it's the earliest Christian site found in the Emirates. Um, and I, if I understand correctly, it's the only one that has been opened to the public. And it was Sheikh Mohammed's intention to actually give credit to all religions and to show that there's no um, prejudice. And so, respect, obviously, and tolerance as well, yeah, which helps. That's, yeah, that's the word in, yeah, to do with religious tolerance. So it's open for anyone to visit who's on the island. And the island is effectively two or three hotels, which are all the Anantara group. So to be on the island, you need to be staying at one of those properties, and then you have access to all these different things. And then going back to Abu Dhabi itself, I mean, it's got possibly one of the biggest, the world's biggest mosques there. I think it's called the Grand Mosque. Correct, yes. You know, even if you're not into buildings, Corin, this is something quite spectacular. If there are only two buildings that you see in the UAE, let it be Burj Khalifa in Dubai and the Grand Mosque in Abu Dhabi. It is, it's so truly magnificent. So you, again, you cannot possibly explain or photograph it. We're talking about a white marble mosque that is, it has over 80 domes, eight zero. It has over a thousand white marble columns, all inlaid with floral designs out of semi-precious stones. And it's got crystal chandeliers in all different colors. The carpet inside is the world's biggest carpet, 35,000 tons of carpet. Sure. So, yeah, it's, everything is just completely over the top. Talking about over the top, I mean, you mentioned the rainbow sheikh uh, with his cars, but they, they also have Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. I mean, that's the world's first and largest Ferrari theme park. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a playland for kids of all ages. So, you know, whether you're a true child or an adult child, it's just an absolute way to escape and enjoy. Um, there are all sorts of different rides you can do that are tailored to all different ages as well. And then there's everything Ferrari you can imagine. So you can listen to the sound of the engine. There's Ferraris on display. There's shops selling, you know, anything Ferrari you can imagine. And then, of course, restaurants and all the rest because it's a, it's definitely a full day's entertainment. And then there's, there's a racetrack outside, and you can actually dine. There's a, a place to dine right at, under the racetrack. There's roller coaster rides, you name it. It's it's really at least a full day's outing. Um, I will give the roller coaster a skip. Apparently, it's the world's fastest roller coaster at 240 kilometers per hour. I'll watch. <laughs> I watched as well. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely watch. But then, what I found fascinating is that it's in the middle of this year. I think they're opening the Louvre Abu Dhabi. I mean, that's going to be quite something. Yes. Um, one of the islands of Abu Dhabi is um, Sadiat Island, and um, Sadiat has this whole planned cultural district, which is 
is under construction at the moment. So, yes, there's going to be a Louvre, a Guggenheim, um, and many other, many other sort of international brands, if you can call it that, as part of this cultural district. And but of course, the architecture is is just amazing and very futuristic and beautiful. So it's all happening. It's um, I understand um, it's about a thirty billion US dollar project that they have going on Sadiat. There'll be a performing arts center and you know maritime museum and all sorts of things, along with housing estates, beautiful housing estates with villas and golf courses, shopping centers, you name it. It's all happening. And I think the, in fact, I think the Guggenheim is due to open in about two years' time. So it's, it really is imminent. And the Louvre, I heard, even possibly later this year, 2015. Now, you mentioned when we spoke last time about Dubai being the city of Est, highest, longest, biggest, whatever. But, I mean, Dubai isn't coming in badly in second place, I would imagine. I mean, they've got, we were talking about the Emirates Palace, and it's the world's most expensive hotel. Yes. The Emirates Palace, you know, there was a, there was actually, if I could just divert um, for a minute, there was an email that went around a year or two ago saying that this is a Sheikh's Palace. Look at the Sheikh's Palace with all the gold taps and, you know, Rolls Royces and all the rest parked outside, silver Rolls Royces. It was actually wasn't a Sheikh's Palace. It is the Palace of the Emirates Hotel, um, which when it was built... I think it's probably around 10 years old now already, but it it was built at a cost of three billion US dollars, and it it remains the most expensive hotel ever built in the world. It's absolutely magnificent. The hotel it looks like a huge dome um, on the water's edge, and they really did go all out. I I heard that the well they created a beach, the hotel's own private beach, and the sand on the beach comes from Algeria. Oh, don't they have enough sand in Abu Dhabi? Well, they preferred the sand in Algeria. Oh, okay. So, um, right. yeah. <laughs> well, if I go down to the beach down here and I don't like the sand, I'll have a word with somebody. But, I mean, can you get your head around importing sand from Algeria? No, no that's what I'm saying. If I don't like the beach down at Musenberg or something one day, I'll phone someone and say, look, seriously, apparently Algeria's sand is a whole lot better than this. You know, make a plan. But, I yeah. mean, that is just, I mean, excessive. I mean, it's just it's seriously yes. excessive. Yes, no, it's, and, you know, inside the Palace of the Emirates, everything is gold, gilded, rather. But um, very, mm. very flashy and, and ostentatious indeed. Did you have the same problem you had when you came back from Dubai? Did you have go with an empty case and come back with a full one? Abu Dhabi actually is, for me anyway, was more about experiences and less about actual shopping and, you know, and buying stuff, more about collecting memories mm. um, because there really is a, there's a lot to do and it's very diverse as well. So, you know, from ocean to desert to islands and then also, you know, just the cultural things as well in the city. And it's, it feels a lot more relaxed, just generally more laid back in Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, you want to just amble around. Um, Dubai, you want to kind of see and do as much as you possibly can just because there's so much. Um, so d- a different atmosphere completely, but absolutely awesome. Definitely something for the bucket list, because as I said in the beginning, it's not something that most South Africans think, oh, well, let's just pop over to Abu Dhabi. But now maybe you should be thinking that. Kerry, it's been amazing chatting with you again. Thank you so much. I look forward to our next chat. But thank you so much for your time this evening. 
Huge pleasure, Karen. I was chatting there with Kerry Harvey. She's a travel writer who, as I always say, gets to go to the most fabulous places. And if you'd like to follow her and find out where she goes, what she does, take a look at her blog. It's kerry-harvey.com, and that's k-e-r-i-harvey.com. And for more information on Abu Dhabi, you can have a look at the website. It's visitabudabi.ae. Well, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. But before I go, let me just tell you that I'll be back again on Monday evening with The Law Report. And I'll be joined by attorney William Booth on Monday evening. And we'll be talking criminal law. So if you have any questions to do with anything relating to court cases or jail sentences or anything to do with criminal law, give us a call. Or if you'd like to drop me a mail in the meantime, that email address is law at safm.co.za. So William Booth will be with me on Monday evening when we're discussing criminal law. But if you've missed any information from the show tonight, you can find it on Facebook. It's travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And if you recall a little earlier, I was telling you about that um, visa you could get. It was an e-visa for Turkey. Just have to go onto the internet and get that yourself. But that the site, the address was just way too long. So if you want that, just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's it for me again this week. Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.